Welcome to Trowadron Legends and Lore. Episode 28, Panthora. Well, hello and welcome to Trollodron Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey, and just a quick little plug here. You can find out more information about me by going to my website, chadcorey.com. That's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E.com. You can also go to trollodron.com. That's T-R-A-L-O-D-R-E-N.com. You can find out more information about this particular world setting, I keep saying it is going to be and is an ever-expanding website. What I mean by that is there will be more information that is presented, updated, and further fleshed out than what is presently on there. So if you want to learn more about this world study besides just this particular podcast series that I'm doing, you're certainly free to take a look at that and see what you can learn and then maybe it ties into what we're talking about or will be talking about in the future if you're listening to this at a, at a later date. Otherwise, thank you so much for being uh, the supportive people that you are. I do appreciate that. This podcast, like I said in the very beginning, and we launched at the beginning of this year, um, it's very amazing to me to think that uh, I'm still going and doing this for a third season, uh, episode after episode, and that is something uh, I'm very thankful for, and I'm thankful for your support and interest in taking a listen to it. It, it seems like every month, every update, there are more people knowing it exists and checking it out, and I am very, very thankful and appreciative to that and to you. So if you would please, as well, make people aware of it, I really would be even more appreciative if you want to forward it on or let me people aware of it or share your thoughts with others about it or myself by sending me an email at lore, that's L-O-R-E, at chadcorey, that's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. And you can share more, like I said, questions you might have about things. I'll be see if I can answer them in this or a future episode. Or you can share where you're listening from, how you found the podcast. I'm always interested in learning where this is reaching people, how it's reaching people, how you came across it, what you're gaining from it, what benefits you're, you're gaining from it, what things maybe you'd like to hear more of. And so I can kind of make these episodes and what I share more tailor-made to what the general listening people want to learn or hear about in general. It's always kind of a, a good idea where, where possible. So do please, like I said, take a moment and share that if you like. And if you want to, if you're getting this on a um, platform, I guess I don't know the correct terminology, what you call that, whether it's you know Apple Podcasts or Amazon Music or Audible, wherever you are, if you're able to and you, you want to do so, feel free to share um, you know, um, a review or just a little star thing and just share where, you, where your thoughts are on it. That does help in making the algorithm promote this further, farther afield and make people more aware of it. So the more you're able to share your reviews or just your, your star commentary on something, the more beneficial it will be and the more people who are will be connected as well. So I appreciate that. Today's episode, we are going to wrap up a couple things. Number one, we're wrapping up the race gods. That's kind of a subgroup of gods in the Pantheon. And we are wrapping up the Trilodron Pantheon as a whole. It's kind of interesting. It took us this long to get <laughs> to this part. But there were a lot of deities. And when I set out to share about the concepts and some of the information about them, I knew going into it, we probably wouldn't be able to finish 
for that particular season. So we carried over into this season and we were finally now with this episode wrapping up what is considered the Trilodron Pantheon, at least as far as the modern line of stories go in uh, what's being published currently and in the next few years to come. So we've gone through all the light gods, the dark gods, the gray gods, and now we're finishing up the race gods. And in particular, we're looking at Panthora, who some of you might be aware of through the various publications that have come out so far. And because of that, some of you might already know her a little bit more intimately or better than other deities in the Trilodron Pantheon, especially if you read the Wizard King trilogy or if you'll be reading some stuff in the future that'll be coming out um, maybe this year, maybe next year. I don't want to give too much away. Or I don't know when you're listening to it, I guess, either presently or in the future. So I'm not going to get into, like I said in the past, a lot of specific individual details and great depth on some things because I want that to be fresh and unique when people encounter it in whatever format that is, the graphic novels, books, short stories that are that are planned and written and are forthcoming. But I will do a, a basic overview like I've been doing for the rest of the gods and let you know a little bit more about her in particular. Obviously, she's a race god, and as I shared with the introduction of Aero Tripton in his podcast, I explained how the race gods came about, so I'm not going to rehash that here. She, however, was a very similar case to Druid, in that she wasn't a human leader, necessarily of a high regard or stature, like someone like the King of Gondad might be, or uh, leader of uh, Remolos would be, or Arrow. So there wasn't a, a large initial gathering of followers for her to get going with her divinity. She was more or less elevated for, again, similar concepts and belief structures that, that Druid had, Although she was a little bit more unique in that she, she believed in helping out humanity. She believed in helping out, you know, bringing a unity to stuff. But she was more of a tribal type of personality. She was more, if you want to say, uh, kind of a chieftain, more actually more of a shaman, which is even more unique. She wasn't even a worshiper of the gods, but the gods decided to elevate her to the higher level of reality of being a goddess herself. So that was, again, not necessarily what you would think for your first choice if you're trying to find a, a deity for the human race to basically inspire, unite, and bring them to a greater level on every aspect of their, their being. She's also a Celator, which, and a Celator, like I said, of more of the, uh, the southern uh, area, more of a shaman, more of a tribal structure to government. So she didn't really fit the mold as far as someone you're looking to have more of an imperial or just a larger... Uh, civic type of concept of humanity. She was more, if you want to say, kind of more in the backwater parts of the world when she came about in her life cycle and was a very short life as well. I'm not going to get into all the details at this point, unfortunately, because I don't want to ruin the, uh, the story that comes out of that for those that get it for the first time. But she was more or less, like I said, a shaman who found herself in a situation where she had to lead and unite a group of humans and, and together towards a, I guess you want to say, a last-ditch effort toward the end there to keep their, their humanity and their, their lands and things intact. And that was what inspired the gods to pick her, to elevate her to that level, because it was more or less uh, on a selfless level in some ways. Obviously, there was some interest in while they wanted to keep themselves alive and their property alive and stuff like that, but it was done. She took on the responsibility, I should say, in more of a selfless type of manner. And that was what the gods were looking for because they had a whole lot of self-seeking 
and dominant personalities already in the Imperial Wars, especially on the human side, and they didn't want to encourage that in the larger overall plan they had for the race gods. But when she came to power as a race god, she was elevated and given the mandate, and she took it very seriously of bringing humanity together, elevating them, helping them, empowering them, as we said already in previous episodes, to the greater good of, of the human race. And she did the best of her ability at the time, and like all the other race gods, she just did not have a great deal of success for many, many, many centuries. Hers was probably the most challenging, whereas at least Druid had universal appeal among his people. They acknowledged him, worshipped him. In many cases, he was the sole form of their worship. Arrow had at least the sole reality of being universally accepted by the Elelium and at least known or understood among the other, you know, the Patriots and the Savani. Panthora wasn't really a household name. She would not remain a household name or even become a household name for many, 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 many centuries. She focused a lot on the divergent groups of humans after the Imperial Wars were over, and it just was very challenging to do. She had success in the Northlands, oddly enough, through some missionaries and things that went there and got some people going there. And so it's primarily where she's held in, in respect in the Northlands and in the, among the Selators. There are a few pockets of uh, Talborians that are at least aware of her and acknowledge her, but it's not like they necessarily go out of their way to worship her. They might acknowledge her as a deity, some might, based on where they are, but they are more interested in the traditional quote-unquote deities, you know, the light gods, the great gods, and so on and so forth. They're not looking necessarily for a human-centric deity, especially given that the Talborians are more of a independent streak mindset anyway. They don't really, I don't want to say they chafe at the idea of bringing uniformity to their lives, but they they are, they are want to be free to make their own decisions. They want to continue what they want to do when they want to do it. And Panthora bringing about you know, the sole universal deity of humanity doesn't always resonate with that mindset among a lot of Talborians. It doesn't mean she's seen outright you know, as a negative thing or in a hostile way. It's just that she's not the first thought people have when they are trying to find a deity or make a prayer for something or, or things in general, they're not going to think, oh, Panthora. So she's pri- primarily with the Selators and she's with the with the Nordicans. The Nepoese don't really know much about her. She's beginning to make some inroads on that front and side and front. But she's not really, like I said, not really known. So out of all the race, guys, she's probably been the least successful, unfortunately, of bringing humanity together or at least making herself known to humanity in a larger larger sense. That said, with the benefit of her knighthood, the Knights of Alcoria, she's been able to make greater connections and greater achievements with with her plans, with her purposes across the entirety of Trilodron, which ultimately now are going to benefit her as they are the other race gods moving forward into the, the future installments of stories and, and in years as they unfold. So that said, who is she as far as what her titles are known by? She is known as the Queen of Valkoria, the Guardian of Gondad, Mankind's Mother, the Panther Queen, and Humanity's Hope. Her symbol is called Panthor's Crest, or the Holy Crest. It's a profile of a panther in mid-roar, and when used in banners and shields, the panther is often gray or black on a white background. 
Otherwise, the uh, head is made into a pendant of bronze, marble, or oak, and given to priests to wear on metal chains. And as I've been saying, priest symbols are more or less their sign of, I guess, rank, if you will. They're showing you, I am a priest, I'm official. It's also a sign that many priests use to have a focus of their faith. It's something they can tap to and carry their beliefs with them, if you will, kind of set them on their sleeve, kind of over their heart, if that makes more sense. She is obviously the goddess of humanity, although we said mainly in the Celators and Nordicans. Her realm is called Gracia, and it is a section of Civis that has been carved up and given to her, particularly to her and to her followers. And it is more or less a open landscape, shall we say. There's a variety of terrain in there, but it gets, she's trying to make it suitable for all the different humanity that she wants to bring in there and make it a, a uniform area of, of uh, connection for the human race in general. There is a, a large city there which she rules after and in, and that is basically semi-modeled after, after the, uh, the look of Gondad in some ways, but also blended with different flavors and fields for humanity as well, as far as you know, what she's trying to accomplish with architectural styles and, and things like that. Those that worship Panthora are called Panians. Panthora is commonly portrayed as a human woman flanked by Panthors. Um, she, the variety of how she's portrayed as a human obviously varies by uh, human ethnic group. And, you know, obviously Taborians have her looking more Taborian, Selatoras more Selatoric, uh, Nordicans more Nordic, and, and, and so on and so forth. It's, it's, sometimes you'll get a mixture of the, the different uh, flavors of humanity, so symbolizing in a way that she's supposed to represent all the the flavors and feels of them in that respect. But in generally, it's more or less geared towards the particular racial group they're trying to interact with. Sometimes she'll have a, the head of a panther, kind of a more wild form there, or sometimes she'll be a human woman, human woman on top of a giant panther. But again, there's always a, a human element tied to it, either humanoid form or human woman in general and how she's dressed again just varies by time period by region by what is trying to be accomplished by that particular shrine or area or worshipers in general but that like i said earlier is kind of how she generally is portrayed as far as how she looks overall like all race gods she she resembles a, a human in her case a celator but given more divine proportions so she's 12 feet tall she has brown eyes with black hair that are in dreadlocks, and then she has kind of a medium brown skin tone. She tends to wear garments and garbs that are more, for lack of a better explanation, I guess, refined hide and uh, leather goods, something you would expect to find maybe among more wild living or tribal type of people, individuals, you know, where it's more simplistic in some ways or just in the, as far as the material goes you have you know leather and hide and stuff stitched together but there's an elegance and a refined quality to a lot of how she dresses and what she wears and she like druid has made it clear that she wants to remain as close to her original appearance as possible and that includes dressing the way she did in life as a mortal because that to her reminds her that she is still having an objective she has a purpose as far as what that objective is keeping it clear before her in dress and in mannerism and in appearance is very important to her and of all the race gods she is probably the most realistic looking as far as what she looked like in life druid there's some, there are a few embellishments you know just making a couple of things look just a little bit better but 
for her is pretty much how she looked in life. Obviously, given the divine proportions, changing some things here and there, but she she wants to maintain the integrity of what who she is because she doesn't want to. She she has this viewpoint personally that she doesn't want to see herself as a god entirely. I mean, she understands and realizes that she is, but she always wants to keep it in her perspective and her mind that she is still a human that was made a god, not a god god. And so she wants to keep that distinction clear before her and keep that as a focal point and an anchor for how she used to interact and develop things with her objectives and plans with humanity overall. And obviously, like the rest of the race gods, she is pretty well received by just about everyone in the pantheon. There isn't a lot of um, animosity or challenges or anything with anyone they, the light gods especially favor her because she is uh, you know, a race goddess and she is well received because she's actually trying to achieve what they set her out to do, although she hasn't always been successful entirely yet, but she's getting there. They are no real hindrances or anything with the gray gods or the dark gods, and she gets along well with the rest of the, the race gods. So she's pretty, pretty well received, pretty well respected within the, the overall pantheon. As far as her holy text goes, it's called the Sacred Scrolls, and it's been put into a collection of scrolls and uh, their main scriptures and philosophy and thought and stuff, and that's what they study. Again, like any scripture, they are primarily the, the possession of priests, although people that might have the means and the resources to get a copy made or purchase a copy can certainly take advantage of that, but you're not going to necessarily find them floating around out there anyway outside of... Uh, North, the Northlands or in certain Celatoric lands are just not, again, her population yet has not reached that level where people are clamoring to get the latest, you know, translation or iteration of the, the sacred text. Otherwise, she's, she's not overly strict on her followers. She wants to, again, to inspire and help and promote good things and bring a greater unity to the, the human race as well. Like other race gods in their religions, the, the big holy day for the Panians is the elevation or the apotheosis of Panthora into the current goddess, and then they call that Panthora's Day, which is when they celebrate the, the event. And obviously it's a big thing because that's how they actually came about. But that's really primarily the only major day that they celebrate as a religion. And as I mentioned earlier, they have a, a martial component to the faith that through the auspices of the Knights of Alcoria, this is kind of like a priestly knighthood in some ways. They're not really priests, but they're, they're, they're followers of Panthora. They're dedicated to the cause of what she's espousing or what the religion is espousing at least. And they work toward the end of bringing a better world for all humanity and as as Panthora presents it. So there probably there there are no military aspects to the other face with Aerotripton or Druid, any race gods. She's she's the exception to that equation there. And like the other race god, a Druid, she doesn't have any divisions within the worship of uh, her her as deity or what she espouses as her belief system to the people. So there's she obviously wants to cause unity and so there is a universal form of worship in her. That doesn't mean people might have a difference of opinion on certain things 
or you know ways to do different things a different way but it's not they're not saying hey we're going to split across and do you know, have our own sect now basically no that's something completely different there maybe regional taste or flavor or certain things that they do just slightly different that fits them and their needs that isn't you know sacrilege or things like that so again there's probably more i can share about that but I, I I hesitate because there are some fun things coming out in the near future, and even in the previous installment of the Wizard King trilogy, I, I don't want to give all away the the uh, the fun stuff there. So I will I will abstain from sharing much more than that, other than to say thank you for checking this out, and I look forward to sharing more information in the next installment as we transition from the Trilodon Pantheon into what we'll call cults and. Uh, secret societies and things like that which i think will be fun we'll get into some stuff that that isn't necessarily covered in the books and hasn't been explained yet in the greater overall trilodrome cosmos so it'll be kind of fun to share some things that are unique only to this particular uh vehicle here the podcast getting that information out to you the listeners so do come back check it out it'll be fun we'll get into some demons and fiends and all sorts of interesting things that uh Definitely have a different, unique flavor and feature and aspect to them than what we've been covering so far with the traditional Trilodrome Pantheon. So we'll see you next month. Thanks for listening. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.